0: Hi everyone, I'm Tony, and I'm Louisa. Welcome to the latest podcast episode from Industry, Oxford University's art, fashion and culture magazine. Our theme for this month is Ambiance. We're interested
1: in the feelings and thoughts that a specific space can evoke. What happens when we enter,
0: exit or inhabit a space? What effect does it have on us and others? In particular, we've been thinking about spaces that we haven't been able to visit during lockdown. Is it possible to be transported to these places through the mimicking of their ambiance? And how might we use sound to recreate the essence of these places? In this
1: episode, we're bringing you a soundscape created by Sarah from our team, and I'll be chatting to Liz Rose, a multimedia artist whose practice juxtaposes theatrical imagery with everyday scenes to evoke a sense of the uncanny.
0: And I'll be talking to Phoebe Thompson, an artist who focuses on negative space and the relationship between the artist and the spectator.
1: We hope you'll enjoy. Hi, everyone. It's Louisa, and I'm here with Liz Rose, who is a multimedia artist specializing in painting. She explores the canvas as a stage to play out narratives that fuse theatrical imagery with scenes of everyday life. She recently graduated from Central St. Martin's and currently lives and works in London. You can find her works at Liz Rose Artist on Instagram. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Hi, Louisa. I'm really excited to get into your work. So, to start, The theme of this episode is ambience, or the way that we inhabit spaces and the feelings they elicit. How do you see the importance of space in your practice?
2: When I make a work, I think I'm always trying to create a mise-en-scene, and I'm using that space to construct a narrative. Yeah, I, I I see it as a psychological space, I think, fundamentally. And it's kind of a way that I can explore space as a representation of an interior space the state of mind it's kind of like viewing the canvas as a stage where you can play out narratives and you can construct stories and create these imaginary worlds so the ideas are always trying to find something um on a boundary or in a liminal space, or something that's been pulled from a dream, I was thinking about the best way to describe it. Maybe would be when you go into someone's house or you go into someone's bedroom, and it's such an insight into that person's life. You you can get close to them than you ever may be able to otherwise because you see all their things and uh, that space is so full of private and intimate moments that usually we're not privileged to, and I'm interested in my work of giving a kind of voyeuristic insight into moments and elevating moments, perhaps from the mundane. And it goes back again to to being interested in the way people kind of inhabit spaces, both publicly and privately, and how that changes. And how we might become privy to that. I think I've always been a people watcher and I've always had a desire to go into people's heads and have a real interest in film. And I think the reason I love film so much is it it kind of gives those privileged glances into another life and you're transported for a minute. It transports you into another life as well.
1: That's really fascinating. You also have a series of interior sketches, which you shared on your Instagram. And uh, in the caption, you ask um, a question, which I'll now ask you, which is how does the interior, the domestic, the home, take on new meaning during lockdown?
2: I think space changes when you're trapped in it. (laughs) And the home changes from a place of safety, refuge. um, It's kind of a place that you can escape from the outside world, When you're confined to that space, I suppose you begin to project all of your anxieties onto it, especially when those feelings are exaggerated through lockdown, feeling trapped, feeling lonely. It heightens the space that you inhabit to contain these uncomfortable psychological feelings. I think I've always been I've always been interested in the uncanny, and it's formed a lot of the research behind my practice, especially when I was at university, and continues to do so and I think it's really interesting to see how the house becomes strange in new ways in lockdown,
3: mm-hmm.
2: how that over familiarity elevates the space into something strange and unrecognisable.
1: Mm. I really like the use of the word over-familiarity.
2: <laughs> yeah, because I think when you're, when you're thinking about the uncanny, the definition of that is unhomely. And of course, the uncanny is kind of something that's familiar, but it seems strange and unfamiliar. And I think that's really manifested when something becomes over-familiar. Because once you start to notice it too much, when you notice the little details... It starts to bother you a lot, I guess, like anything in life. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's very much elevated when you can't leave your house.
1: And um, how did that feeling inform your making? And how did the experience of making during this period of, of lockdown changed for you?
2: I think it was both beneficial and caused a lot of problems as well. I think the largest thing when you're an artist is space again having space to create both mentally and physically for a few months i couldn't really go to my studio i was stuck at home and i was really struggling with creative block wasn't really able to make anything but i think at the same time boredom can be a great source of inspiration and can be a great driving force in making you sit back and reconsider those things are important I think it also made me look back to the core of what I was interested in and I started thinking again a lot about the art of the feminist movements in the 60s, uh, particularly Woman House, which was a collaboration between Judy Chicago and Miriam Shapiro and starting to think about my own entrapment in the house and how these women previously explored it and how now that being trapped in the house has become a global issue, we're all feeling it, and how that might change our society. So that's been a real source of inspiration recently. But I think boredom as well kind of took me back to this childlike state where I had loads of time to fill for the first time, maybe since I had been a child, and the way the imagination expands within that and how you can you can create these really rich narratives and really rich imaginative worlds when you just have the time to sit and think and I think it made me be more playful as well I think maybe I started to take my work less seriously and and I was creating for my own benefit to kind of keep me sane throughout lockdown Mm -hmm. Uh, and it allowed me to let go of some of that tension I think maybe that I'd held on for you from from studying that you have to make something great and it has to be presentable and it has to be ready to go uh, into the white cube space. Now I was making work for me, I was making silly doodles and that was producing much more interesting work. Yes, time, time was segmented up into blocks and I think coming out of that I kind of all of that oppression and that boredom, and then not being able to create. And also at the same time, that leading to a great deal of introspection and taking time to reevaluate my practice and how it changed over lockdown. And since I'd left university, which had been months before the pandemic hit, it was really key to reevaluate what I was interested in and what I was trying to find in my work and what was important to me as well to keep on making work and at the end of it the kind the floodgate kind of opened up and I the last few months I've been more productive perhaps than I've ever been and I've had loads of new ideas uh, I just started drawing every day and I drew and I drew everything around me and now I'm finally managing to paint again I'm back in the studio and uh, Yeah, I think that time really helps that. Mm -hmm. But it's really changing my work. Yeah, I've started to make more pictures of, like, not just me on my own, isolated and alone. (laughs) I've started to, like, make pictures out of the snapshots that I've been taking when I've been out with friends. Because I think I rely a lot on... I take a lot of pictures. And in lockdown, that was just a lot of walks, a lot of stuff from walks. But now that I'm starting to see people... I've been able to go back to my sneaky photo taking of friends when we've been out kind of in social situations. A lot more people are like going out as well now and they're putting me on Instagram. I take a lot of screenshots of social media and Instagram and I kind of subvert those and like change those into other stories. So it's, it's useful. My source material has like increased tenfold. I don't have to use any more stock images because people are uh, living their lives again. <laughs> I'm putting it on the internet.
0: <laughs> That's really
1: nice to to hear that you managed to draw some inspiration from such a interesting, difficult time. Um, you also mentioned being inspired by various sources, ranging from cinema to literature, fashion to music. Could you talk a little bit more about these inspirations?
2: I think growing up, I'm from quite a working-class background, and I didn't really grow up around art. It wasn't really something that was accessible to me or something that was really part of my life. It's something I discovered uh, much more as I went through school and then independently later on. But I think I'm from quite a creative family and I had influences all around me all the time, particularly from music. I remember growing up and watching old reruns of performances by David Bowie and Talking Heads, who are still some of my favourite artists and really influential on me. And I think I was really drawn to that aesthetic and the kind of arty lifestyle that they seem to inhabit and just that coolness, I suppose. It was creativity on a level that was accessible to the masses. And it was real out there kind of expression within pop culture, which I think, again, is a lot more accessible to most people in a way that art maybe isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But the same thing with cinema. I, I grew up always loving to sit in front of the television and just, I could spend hours and hours. And then as I grew up, I discovered art house cinema a bit more. And I think it's really important that I grew up in an age where the internet made everything a lot more accessible. I grew up in a really small town in the middle of England, uh, just north of Birmingham. And there wasn't really access to that kind of culture. But I think the internet expanded my world a lot. Cinema is really interesting to look at as an alternative media when you're a painter and think about how colour and composition and narrative are constructed in a time-based medium and how I'm trying to create that in my own work within a still image, within the confines of a canvas. I think it's really interesting the way that cinema explores psychological themes and I think... Maybe it's the most suited art medium to exploring that, but I think it's really interesting to then translate that back into painting. I think there's a continuous kind of cycle of borrowing influences. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Pedro Amadova films Mm. recently, I'm sure that pronunciation is awful, (laughs) Um, but the way he uses colour and composition he clearly is very interested in painting and very knowledgeable about it and I've always been interested in that conversation that exists between the two mediums and I think a lot of theory as well I looked at a lot of theory relating to cinema again when I was in university and beyond that I'm really interested in researching about women in horror films. (laughs) You know, the Barber Creed as the Bible. I'm interested in the theory of the male gaze and how that's subverted. And I just think overall, I'm just interested in looking at the themes that I'm interested in when I'm painting and in art. And seeing how they're conveyed in other media and I think cinema is really, really rich for that.
1: I really like that you mentioned Amund Dover and I also think that he creates very painterly compositions in his
2: films. Are there any other directors you're inspired by? I think at the core of it, I really like uh, David Lynch and Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. They were some of the first directors that I watched that really kind of blew my mind, the cinema that really blew my mind. It was a really interesting way of visually and narratively constructing stories that were so psychological, and kind of related back to the psychological paintings that I loved, but really gave a a fresh spin on that. Mm
1: -hmm. Definitely. A lot of the imagery you create reminds me of some surrealist pictorial tropes as well, such as mirrors and windows as related to self-reflection and introspection in the subconscious. Is this an influence in your work?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think those films I was just talking about, there's always something surreal in them and it's it's always been interesting to see how surrealism has endured perhaps more in cinema than it has in art. Mm -hmm. And to consider surrealism perhaps beyond the canon, the way we view it in art history... Of those core male artists, I'm interested more in subverting that and looking outside of it. I'm really interested in the uh, the women who, who were working alongside those historical male surrealists. Dorothea Tanning is one of my favourites. And I'm really interested in the themes that they looked at and how they interpreted surrealism perhaps relating more to the occult and witchcraft and tarot these kind of mediums and subjects that have always been more in the realm of the female this goes back again to thinking about women in horror films the the symbolism of the witch and the oppression of women throughout history is really is really interesting and I think the way that psychologically manifests from those artists into their own work who lived within this realm where it was so male dominated and they were made subject of the male gaze and the male psychology was inflicted upon them I suppose mm. I think with, with mirrors and windows in particular I'm interested in boundaries and kind of manifesting a boundary between the real world and the imagined world and again it goes back to this idea of creating psychological spaces that exist somewhere in between the realm of reality and our own internal minds our own internal worlds I suppose when you're thinking about how you're going to manifest something psychologically symbolism is a really strong way to do that because you're trying at the end of the day you're trying to manifest something that exists only in your head it's hard to find a way to visually represent a feeling but I think that is what you're trying to do as an artist you're always trying to capture emotion and feeling whatever medium you're working ultimately you kind of want to have an effect on your viewer and I think the surrealists I was really interested in looking at the surrealists because. Um, of all the theory that was behind their work. But but since then, yeah, I think I've looked beyond that and tried to find new influences. Influences are all around you, and I think every part of everyday life adds to your psyche and makes up a picture of you. So I'm trying to infuse that into my work as well.
1: Yeah, I really like that, that you bring that perhaps peripheral history of, of surrealism. Um, and I definitely see the influence in your works. Recently, as well, your works have included more natural elements. What has interested you as you've explored this boundary between the domestic and nature, between the
2: man-made and the natural? I think what I was saying before about being trapped at home if anything that kind of pushed me to want to look outside of myself as well and get out of the home whereas before I'd been quite comfortable there as a space because I was existing quite comfortably as well I was existing in the private world but I think I'm interested always in this boundary between concealing and revealing mm-hmm. and I'm interested in the way that as humans we try to control our surroundings and we try to control our lives and i'm interested in the way that um, throughout history society has kind of constructed these boundaries that we're all presumed to live in uh, whether that's gender constructs or sexuality but i think in this case i've started to think about that boundary between the domestic and nature i think being trapped in the house and the only thing you can do is go for a walk in the park so our homes are still where our private lives are played out but now during lockdown the park becomes the only public place to play out those sides of ourselves of our lives and I'm interested in the performative aspect of how we are in public versus how we are in private So I was interested in that, but I also in the garden as well. I think I'm quite lucky in London I have a, a little garden, but most people don't, and it's interesting to think about that. Again, in relation to the park, the park is a public space and the garden is still an extension of the private, it's an extension of a home in a way. But the similarity between the two spaces is that sites of nature which are man-made and curated and a space where the human presence tries to tame nature so i began to think about the wild creeping back in and the urban and kind of that wildness maybe reclaiming the city
3: Mm.
2: when the people are removed from it how does that relationship continue The garden at night is a mysterious space. It's not really somewhere, you know, it's such a curated place and such a, it's made for a specific reason, you go and sit out there in the day and you enjoy the sun. You don't really go out there in the middle of the night when all the creatures are free to come out. Also going back to childhood memories, when you're stuck in the house for the first time in your adult life because you haven't got to go to work because you're on furlough and you haven't got to go to university etc you're you're going back to amusing yourself like you would in childhood and those childhood memories and that childhood imagination begins to manifest itself and I always remember loving to play in the garden yeah I'm I'm drawing a lot more in my work from memory and imagination and trying to Combine that with visual sources that I collect. And I've begun to think about childhood memories in particular in the context of the domestic. And dressing up and going outside. And I would always put my mum's heels on and the way that they would sink into the garden, mm. into the grass. Um, kind of creating from those memories a little bit more than perhaps... I used to stage photographs a lot and then I would work from them using friends and myself and that just hasn't been possible in lockdown so I've begun to think about different ways to to create work, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose we're also all keen when we've been displaced from our normal lives to find something rooted and to find something that grounds us again. We've all heard that so many people are moving out of London and moving out of these urban settings to go back to the countryside, whereas I always really liked the city and can't wait till it kind of opens back up. And I'm interested in how that urban space changes.
1: Yeah, I also think our relationship to nature and to the city has changed a lot. So it's really fascinating to hear how that um, has influenced your, your work recently. You were recently awarded a scholarship with the Essential School of Painting and congratulations on that. Could you tell us a bit more about it?
2: Yeah, so the Essential School of Painting is based in North London and uh, I rent my studio from them as well and have done for the last year. It's quite local to where I live, which has been good. But it came at a good time, really. I think I left university in summer 2019 and then I had a few months where I was just leisurely making work you know trying to decide what I wanted to do now I was out on my own and then the pandemic hit so it was really grounding to be able to go and have classes and to kind of have that structure throughout the pandemic has been so useful and I think it's the experience has been great I've uh, been under the tutorage of to amazing tutors who are Melissa Kime and Dan Coombs and it's been really great I think I think in university now you don't really get taught practically in the same way that you once did perhaps I think art schools have changed a lot in recent years and I felt that that had always been missing uh, when I'd been at uni and it that kind of exploration into painting and it's really helped me to to think about the formal elements of how I construct a painting how I even just apply paint and all the different techniques and how I can construct those narratives it's given me a lot of new perspectives and it's also really helped me because it's kind of given me an established way of working and helped me again to find importance in drawing and it's also helped me to find ways that I can sort through all of those influences that I was talking about earlier all those different things that interest me which perhaps were quite overwhelming before and I didn't really know how to include them into my work I think it's it's given me good practical advice on how I can structure that and how I can begin to weave all of these influences into the narratives that I create.
1: That sounds really, really exciting. I suppose it also gives you a sense of a, of a community and of a of a dialogue as well that you might have been lacking otherwise with not being able to, for example, be in, the space of the museum or the space of the gallery or art events or whatever it may be, workshops.
2: Yeah, I think it's really important and something that's been highlighted this year is how important those communities are and how important it is to be able to speak about your work to other people and see other people's work in the flesh and kind of have those dialogues and all the interesting things that can come out of that. I think when you're sitting and you're working alone in your studio, you're in a danger of becoming stagnant or you have a certain way of perceiving the world and it's paramount to be open to but also have access to people who can bring different views or can bring different readings to your own works and it's been great to have that and to meet some new people in a time where I think we were all really suffering from that withdrawal Um, even on Zoom I mean (laughs) as annoying as Zoom is being able to once a week have that kind of clockwork that space where you can all come together and just talk about what's been interesting you. It's very beneficial. I'm
1: really glad you're getting to, to have that experience and thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for coming today. It's really exciting to hear what you're up to and um, I'm excited to see what you'll come up with next. Thanks for having me. Next up, we have a soundscape created by Sarah Ketterall and Charlie Mars. Enjoy.
4: Sheffield, Wakefield, Westgate, Leeds, York, Darlington, Durham, and getting into Newcastle around 25 to 7 this evening. Service today is made up of two trains joined together. You've got coaches A through to F in the front train, and G through to L in the rear train, with coaches A and G for first-class ticket and pass holders only, please. Please be aware that you cannot get between the two trains once you're moving, unless you can only be done at the platform. Can I ask customers to remember that face coverings are compulsory still on all public transport. Please do also try and sit a couple of rows apart from other customers where you can for social distancing. And can I ask customers to occupy window seats rather than the aisle seats, please? It just means that crew and other customers can get through the train more safely. Speaking of safety, we've got safety posters in the carriages and vestibules. You can use these to familiarise yourself with the train a little more. And staying on the safety theme, if you see anything suspicious on board today, please don't hesitate to contact a member of crew. Alternatively, you can speak to the British Transport Police via their text service, which is six one zero one six. Remember the three Ss, see it, say it, sorted. Obviously, it's a no smoking service that also includes the use of e-cigarettes and vaping devices. So, once again, your next station call will be Burton on Trent. Journey time from here around twenty.
1: Thank you for waiting for The Train to leave with us. The Train is a Bossa Nova-inspired music experience by the wonderful Oxford-based musician Charlie Moz and multimedia artist Sarah Catterall. For more of Charlie's music, such as their album A Monkey in Silk, find them on Spotify under the same name. And on TikTok under Pagoda Soda. That's P-A-G-O-D-A-S-O-D-A. You can find me, Sarah, on Instagram, at Sarah Catterall. Have a lovely rest of your journey.
0: It is my pleasure to introduce to you my friend and artist, Phoebe Thompson, who is currently studying at Kingston University and has previously completed an art foundation at Central St Martins. Phoebe and I have been friends for a minute, and as her friend, I've seen Phoebe work across a tonne of mediums, like oil paints, sculpture, and currently ice, with varying subjects from the figurative to something that I believe epitomises the idea of the abstract, which is space. So thanks for coming on, Phoebe. Hi. So what are you working on right now? So currently well I've just done my final pieces and I've been
3: exploring for this project like you said with ice, video, performance, collage, photography. Um, A lot of my recent pieces have involved photocopying ice which I've then edited almost like astrophotography to almost add layers of deceit and like show similarities of a space image and then i've actually done a collaboration with my dad anthony thompson um and he carved into the eyes which then created loads of imagery i can read out a bit of what i've written basically explaining my piece if you want no that sounds great yeah So I'm exploring an experience that holds a critique and a questioning of our position within science and the grand narratives of the universe and to ask what is real and what is fake. Are we all a small part of a larger thing, our Anthropocene involvement? Will this involvement be inevitably continuous and never ending? I do this through the experimentation of the medium of ice and this piece aims to express a parody of all the seriousness, a playful piece that underpins a philosophical nature a critical theory balanced with its underlying humour of just being smashed glass or ice, photocopied, a mockery and critique of reality and why we do things the way they are, so the continuous ego behind humanity.
0: Do you want to give like, like an audio description maybe of one of your works?
3: In this 13 minute, 58 second performance video titled Projection Performance, which is a collaborative piece with Anthony Thompson, my father. Anthony Thompson is seen chiselling and drilling away at a large ice block with the dimensions of approximately 8.5 inches by 8.5 inches by 4.5 inches deep. The ice block sits on a tea towel placed on a wooden chopping board. On the floor is a large plastic sheet to protect the floor from any chunks of melting ice. The location is a wooden floor with a large white wall. On this white wall, is a projection of an edited image of photocopied ice of which he is observing and then transferring into the ice with his drill. This manipulated image of ice appears to look similar to an x-ray image with its bone-like appearance and blue tones. These ambiguous and edited ice images are consistent throughout my works, appearing as scientific, geographical and universal imagery, introducing my theme of parody and the critique of reality. From the beginning, which shows Anthony Thompson planning and sorting out his space, to the end, with him holding up the block of carved ice in front of the projection, there is an image of slow-moving unpredictability, reflection and cyclical nature. Whilst looking through the clips, I notice a sense of time. This temporality I feel is captured due to not cutting all parts of the clips to make it shorter, and leaving it edited simplistically. It almost feels like watching an essence of unmoving movement. This is due to the duration from the silence at the beginning to the noise of the drill, the unexpectedness of my dad's perspective and lack of foresight, and the rawness and unplanned nature of the filming. For example, the camera positioning and recording with my hands and no extra support, lighting, the grainy effect the camera gave, and the location setup. The fact he did not know what he was drilling, and even when he did see the projection, he did not know what the ice photocopy truly was, which gives, and gave this act, an act of anticipation. This is exactly what I aim to achieve. Within this performance piece, I aim for the viewer to witness someone who was and still is naive of the true form of the ice, due to its ambiguity and manipulation, therefore reflecting and critiquing certain societal and critical standpoints and the critique of Presumption and reality, also to witness a process of reflection into and through the matter of ice, therefore leading them onto an inquisition into themselves and whether they want to see or can see a reflection of themselves in the person. Can they see a parody of reality and presumption, unlike the performer? Cool.
0: So you kind of talk about kind of making a mockery of uh, the spectator experience. Because I know, like, if you look in pop culture, people kind of make fun of artists and the art world for being really stuffy and pretentious. Yeah, I was just wondering what you thought of
3: that. So, yeah, basically, the project I've just done looks into the destabilisation of hierarchy between the viewer and the artist. And I'm commenting on social and hierarchical positions in society. So my work has to be left with, like, an ambiguity, like you were saying, so that the ice can be read as unrefined or the ice cube is unreadable in itself. And in one of my pieces, which I've got stills on my art Instagram account, so I had a projection of one of my ice images that I'd edited on the wall that looked scientific, geographical. It looked like an x-ray. Because when my dad first saw it, he said that to me is a pelvis with a spine and it's been severed top and bottom. Like that's quoted from him. And in the video, I kept the edit very simplistic, like just a simple cut to project the nature of the unknown through the progression of the performance. I was unsure at the beginning whether to keep my dad like in the unknown, Like, like after he had carved the ice because obviously he thought it was an x-ray image after he'd carved that whether to tell him it was ice on a photocopier or just to keep him thinking it was an x-ray. Um, and I was thinking, if I do tell him it's literally just ice, then the viewer who's viewing the performance video is ultimately observing a process of the past and an ignorance that is now destabilised by not telling him it could be the critique and teaching point for the viewers, And they are witnessing someone who was and still is ignorant or naive of a societal and critical standpoint. And this therefore leads on to like an inquisition into themselves and whether they want to or do not want to be like the person they see in the video, e.g. my dad, for example, or do they want to see or can they see a reflection of themselves in the person? Like, I didn't even know what was going to happen and how he was going to carve it. So this literally even destabilised me as one of the
0: artists' own presumption. I really love that, kind of how you're playing with the spectator, the spectator's role. The many forms your work can take. So another theme you're into right now, which I guess feeds pretty well into the ideas of uh, the cosmos and the universe, is space. I think the idea of emptiness is radical, especially for an artist. Uh, so how have you tackled the idea of emptiness? Um,
3: well, so last year, my like the beginning of first year, um, my works have progressed since then. So I was exploring conceptual and dimensional approach towards the notion of space and like it's negative space. I was able to realise like themes of science, reality and the permanent alongside the mythological, temporal and transience. Also as well with that Neoplatonism, the philosophy behind the physical and non-physical body, movement, human experience, truth and authenticity, which is a big one that I've still carried on throughout. And then... At the beginning of that I produced various sculptures and structures challenging the notion of whether you can record the transience or capture that negative absent space. A word I use a lot was void of space of something and all of which led on to the second term where I've taken inspiration and developed this notion of reality and unreality in the spaces we are in inevitably and constantly. It's all got this same underlying like concept but I've Explored it alternatively, and in a way like before, it was very physical, like very structural, and I guess it is now with the ice carvings and stuff. It's just not as structural now, but I really like that. So, why ice as a medium? Um, using ice inflicts the image of a cycle, so it's frozen solid and then it melts back into water so it becomes part of the universe and what the viewer is critiquing
0: and what's interesting about ice is that um a lot of planets are made up of rock and ice so in a way you're kind of interacting on a universal level with like what we're made up yeah that's the thing and as the ice melts
3: away like it's almost like their expectations and thoughts melt away literally and metaphorically as well kind of revealing like the underlying fragility of ego authority and hierarchy and everything and i think that's partly why a lot of what i said before it's become less structural maybe and a lot more commenting on society and everything so like even as Partly as the artist myself, like creating the video idea and performance idea, but then getting my dad involved as one of the artists, collaborative artists as well. Instead of being really like, this is a sculpture and this is what it is, it's all commenting on like language, performance. Like It's commenting on everything in the universe and it's like the structure of everything. And it all reflects each other at the end.
0: When I saw your pieces I kind of thought it really reminded me of Francis Bacon his you know kind of anthropomorphic figures in these like empty rooms. So
3: yeah I've had a lot of artist influences and some of these are Maratha Dash and Ed Atkins and also my tutor at university who is called JJ Chan. They're amazing like so inspiring and helpful and really understand a lot of like where I'm coming from with my work, also Ty Sharni and Grace Woodcock and people around me like my dad for example, that's why we we're doing the collaboration and I've also researched into um, Anushka Bailey and one of her essays on An Ice cube's Journey.
0: Yeah it's really exciting stuff we're doing right now P. So what's next for you? Well, because my course is fine
3: art and art history, I do want to do an MA, possibly in art history because I love the writing side of it. And then, in long term, long term future, I was considering even a PhD. I mean, that is well into the future, and obviously, I need to get my BA and possibly the MA done first. But that is something I'd love to do.
0: And then, who knows? And do you have any like um, kind of ideas about what you want to explore with your MA slash PhD?
3: When you're in like a sixth form or doing GCSEs and stuff or even the foundation it's very much just the art fine art side and and this is the only time like the beginning of me doing art history so I'd never really looked into it before so I still have a lot more to go and a lot more reading but. Now I've done my final hand-ins, I'm going to
0: be reading all sorts now. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for you, P. So, thank you for joining us. This has been amazing. I'm super excited to see where you're going, what you're doing. Yeah, thanks so much for this opportunity. So, if you want to check out what Phoebe's doing right now, you can find her on Instagram, at Phoebe May Thompson, that's her art account, and May is spelt with an E. And you can also check out her personal account, which is as attractive as her art account, which is Phoebe May T. That's everything we have for you today. Thank you for joining us.
1: If you'd like to check out more of Liz's work, you can follow her on Instagram at Liz Rose Artist,
0: And you can follow Phoebe on Instagram at Phoebe May Thompson.
1: And if you find yourself in a new place this week, close your eyes for a moment and see how many different sounds you can hear. Do the sounds tell you a story about the space you're in or conjure up a picture in
0: your mind? You can follow Industry on Instagram and Facebook and make sure you join us next month for our final episode of the season. Goodbye!